Welcome to our daily drive time devotions through the book of Romans. Hi, I'm Pastor Tom Holliday, and this week we are looking together at Romans chapter 13. This is day one of our look at that chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6. As we open up to this chapter, Romans 13, it is a chapter that begs us to ask the question, how do we affect the world around us without the world affecting us? How do we do that? as believers, as those who are faith, who should be salt and light in this world? Do we just stay away from the world and somehow try to affect it that way? Well, that's not going to work because then you're not interacting with the people that you want to influence. Do we become exactly like the world so that they will like us and feel like they relate to us? Well, that doesn't work either because there is no difference. There's nothing that can attract anybody if you become exactly like someone else. Romans 13 is an important part of doing what Jesus told us to do to be in the world, but not of the world. And it's a part of what we began talking about together last week in Romans chapter 12, a new way of thinking. Remember last week we talked about a new way of thinking about worship, a new way of thinking about our relationship to others in the church, a new way of thinking about our relationship to others in everyday life, a new way of thinking about our relationship to our enemies. In Romans chapter 13, we take a look at a new way of thinking about our relationship to society to just the culture that's around us. In order to have healthy relationships with the world that's around us, what do we need to do as believers, as followers in Jesus Christ? How can we be the salt and light that we need to be? Well, Romans 13 doesn't answer all of the questions about that, but it answers a few very important questions that aren't really answered anywhere else in the Bible. This is the chapter that you turn to to find out particularly how does a Christian relate to the government of the country that they are in. This is what the Bible has to say in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 5. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do what is right but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear, fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience." In this passage, Paul gives us two major responsibilities towards the government of the country that we live in. First of all, he says you need to give them your respect. And then in a minute, he's going to tell us something else very practical that we need to do that might be surprising to you that this is in the Bible. But he begins by saying, give your respect. Give your respect. How do you continue to respect the government that's around you, even in light of maybe a disagreement. Or if you're listening to this and you're in a country that's uh, not a democratic country like the United States of America, and you don't have an opportunity to even vote on some things, you don't like the way your government's going, how do you continue to give your respect? What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, here's a couple of answers that Paul talks about. You give your respect to your governing authority as an authority of God, and number two, as a minister of God talks about those two things. They are first an authority of God. And in verse 2, he actually says that disrespect for a government authority equals disrespect for God. Now, notice it says for the governing authority, it doesn't say a particular kind of government. 
This is not only respect for a democratic government where the people get to be involved, this is a respect for whatever kind of government. Remember, when Paul wrote this, they were under the government of a leader named Caesar who controlled and ruled everything. Some people take this to mean to only respect the kind of government that I like, or even to only respect the government when it has the direction that I want. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. It's not as if you can only respect the government when your party is in control. How does this work, this thing of respecting the government, and yet I'm a servant of God? I sometimes have a difference of opinion with the way the government is saying to do things. Well, Philippians 3.20 reminds us that we are a citizen in very many ways of two worlds. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we have a relationship not only to the government, the state that we are a part of, but we have a deeper and longer lasting relationship to God's kingdom. And over the centuries, there have been four different kinds of ways that the state and the church have tended to relate to one another historically. Four ways. The first way is Erastianism. That is the idea that the state controls the church. The state is totally in control and they control the church. We still see that in a lot of governments in the world today. A second way of doing this is called a theocracy. That's where the church controls the state. The church is in charge and tells the state, the government, what to do. A third way is Constantinianism, which is where the state favors the church and the church accommodates the state. It's sort of a halfway in between, sort of a best buddies kind of way of doing this. And a fourth way is what you see in more democratic kind of governments, a partnership. The church and the state recognize the God-given responsibilities of each. Now, obviously, most of us would choose the fourth. But whichever one you happen to be in, whichever government happens to control your country, the truth of the matter is we respect that government as an authority of God. That's how you have respect. And you also respect the government as a minister of God. In fact, that's the word that is used here. It's a minister of God, God's servant in verse 4. That's the word minister. Paul affirms three times that the state has authority from God. And then he affirms three times in this one passage that it is a minister of God. It's a minister of order. It's a minister of justice. Now, what this means is next time you get a ticket, as if you ever would, but let's say you got a ticket, what you should do is look at the police officer and say, you know, you have really ministered to me today. The truth of the matter is, we don't feel like it's ministry when it happens, but it is. It is ministry. And if right now you're driving and you happen to see a police officer in a car driving by or a highway patrolman in a car driving by in a few minutes, take a minute to pray for them right now because they have a tough ministry. They're serving God in very difficult situations. The Bible says you respect the government as an authority from God and as a minister of God. Now, the question here is, always? Aren't there times when you can't respect certain governments? Remember, again, these words were written in the Roman Empire, where there was a Caesar who eventually one day, under this rule of the Caesars, would declare themselves to be God and ask people to worship them as God. As wrong as that was, these words are still inspired by the Holy Spirit. When Paul calls the government servant, the first two times he uses the word diakonos, which is deacon or servant, the third time he uses a Greek word, liturgos, which means the priest, the servant of God in that way. Pretty powerful words to show that God has instituted a government. Now, I know there are tons of questions behind this. Good governments, bad governments, how does this work? And so tomorrow, as we talk together, we're going to really focus in on how does this work with all the philosophical questions of good and bad governments. But let's be personal right now, instead of being philosophical. How about you? 
How are you respecting the government that God has put into our country? Are you respecting it as an authority of God and as a minister of God? That's what God encourages us to do in these verses. Number one, you submit to the government by giving it your respect. But number two, he says, you submit to the government. And this is where some of you may just not like what's in the Bible. Number two, you submit to the government by paying your taxes. Yep, it's right there in the Bible. You pay your taxes. In verse six, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. This whole idea of taxes and customs has obviously been there for thousands upon thousands of years. If you can't be happy about being taxed for any other reason, then be happy that you're fulfilling God's will in paying them. When you pray, thy will be done, well, God says right here in verse 6 that part of his will is that we pay taxes. I know some of us may not like that, but God says do that because it is a way of respecting the government. And he says to do it out of good conscience, not just as a duty, but out of a heart, as a moral obligation. Don't be like the guy who wrote an anonymous note to the IRS and said, I cheated on my taxes last year, and I have not been able to sleep due to a guilty conscience. So enclosed is $250. And then he said, P.S., if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest of the money. Now, don't do it that way. It's a good conscience. You're doing it because you know it's the right thing to do. And as much as you may hate taxes, you may see the waste that is in government, there are some small things being paid for, like the roads you drive on and someone to come to your house when it's on fire and people who make sure that the water is safe to drink and education for the next generation. There are some pretty significant things being paid for by the taxes that we paid. And Paul paid taxes. And those taxes that he paid in part went to support the great Roman army and the great Roman roads. And although he may have disagreed with a lot of things that that army was used to do and the roads were used to do, that army and those roads are what gave him the freedom to travel safely throughout the Roman Empire to spread the good news. So God used even the taxes that he paid to open the doors to share the good news. As Paul here talks about paying taxes, he reminds us that it's not just a monetary debt, it's an attitude debt. You fear and you honor the government. And Jesus taught this principle. In Matthew 22, verse 21, when the disciples were asking Jesus about whether they should pay taxes or not, you remember the famous phrase, he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar and render unto God what is God's. Jesus did not say that we should not pay taxes. In fact, he encouraged us to. He encouraged us to pay taxes. You pay taxes. That's the part that's very practical, hard for us to swallow, and yet it's also very significant because it's an expression of a second thing, and that is the respect that we have for the government that God has put into place. Now, tomorrow we're going to talk about the fact that God has put all governments into place and what that means. You may have a question about that. Set that aside for tomorrow, and right now, let's pray. Let's pray for something you may not pray for very often. Let's pray for our government. You may be in the United States as you listen to this. You pray with me for the government that we're a part of. You may be listening to this in another country, be a citizen of another country. I encourage you to pray for the government of the country that you are a citizen of. Our Father, we stop right now, and we take a moment to pray for our government. We thank you, as you've told us in your word, that this government has been put into place and is an expression of your authority. And Lord, we pray that they would take that very seriously, that they would see, God, the need to provide safety to all citizens and to listen to you 
and to find in you strength to lead. Lord, I pray even for governments that don't look to you and try to find in you strength to lead, that they would be brought up short to realize that, God, you are in control in your perfect timing, that they would see that you are the one that is in charge of all human events. And we pray for ourselves, Father. We pray that you would help us to respect the government that we're a part of by respecting not only their authority, but also respecting their ministry. And we take a minute right now to thank you for maybe something we don't often thank you for, the ministry of our government each and every day. Thank you for the safety that they provide our homes. Thank you for the water and the power that's provided. Thank you for the education that's provided. And Lord, we pray for those who are ministers of God to us in these ways, that you would give them right now, in this moment, this day, strength to lead, wisdom to lead, and a deep sense of the stewardship of their leadership. Lord, protect our government leaders from selfishness. Protect our government leaders from a sense that it's all about their leadership and help them to see that it's all about those that they lead. We ask this together, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, join us tomorrow as we take a further look at some questions that you might have about these verses in this chapter, Romans chapter 13. Mm -hmm.